Here we are, man. Been talking about it for a long time. Thought this thing was snake bit for so long. <laughs> I even told my wife tonight that it was snake bit when you texted me that you were broke down on the side of the road. Dude, when I was rolling into town, I thought the same thing. I was like, Luke is going to lose all faith in me because <laughs> my truck is sputtering and coughing and like a bucking horse, like, <sighs> like rolling into town just on fumes and gasps. I mean, we've been talking about doing this for a year and a half. Yeah, I think so, at least. And finally, we're going to do it today at 6, 6.30. Yeah, I asked you when. Yeah, yeah, 6 was the plan. Mm-hmm. Said I'd be ready to go then. Then I got a text. Said I uh, couldn't get out the door. It's going to be around 7.30. I get another text that says, ah, the truck's broke down. But then you got the next text, which said, good to go. I'm on the road. <laughs> I fixed it. And then it was my turn. Recently, I've had twins about two months ago. And they decided when it was time to do the podcast that they're going to not sleep. So what, we're about 1030 now. So yeah, I think they're maybe going to stay asleep. We'll see. Maybe. So yeah. Anyway, here we are. Daddy at the wheel. Welcome. Welcome. That's right. Talk a little bit of background of our idea with this podcast. We, our father, we grew up with our dad trucking and we realized there is a lot of road stories that we've heard for a lot of our life. It might be a interesting podcast, an entertaining podcast for truck drivers to listen to road stories. So we, I think that a lot of stories is even possibly an understatement. It's endless. Just, I mean, what's rooster? You'll hear the name rooster. That's what we call dad. And I, he was three, I want to say three and a half million miles in his career, almost the entire time going back and forth to the same place. And so he got to know so many of the people along the way that it, it's just provided a well, just a fountain and a well of treasures and stories. We're going to get him on here. That's probably going to be a recurring, recurring thing with this podcast, getting, getting Roost on here talk about some of his old stories, get some of his, his buddies that he trucked with as well. Yeah, that'll be good when we just get them in, turn them loose. I mean, that's what we, what we got set up with for this podcast, thinking about it, was to just have a place to kind of tell road stories, provide some entertainment, and thought it'd be fun for truckers while they're driving to be able to dial in and listen to these. And all that is, it sounds cliche to say it, but like that is all going to go away, all those, those stories. Because trucking just isn't, it isn't like it used to be. There's a few people that are still kind of doing it old school, but the stuff that Roosters told us over the years, like people don't truck like that and they don't interact like that anymore. And so to get that out and maybe inspire some people to kind of turn to the old ways or to, to learn the ways. I think that's as we've continued to endlessly talk about doing a podcast, we have, I don't think we've changed our direction, but we've maybe widened our scope thinking that this podcast might end up being a place not just for entertainment for for people on the road but a place to uh i don't know mentorship is that the right word maybe find some um information some education opinion discussion but maybe some some place to to find a, a mentorship of sorts to think like a community i think i don't know if that's the right word to use but a place to go there's 
Somebody told me one time when I was, I, I pulled into a truck stop to fuel up one night hauling cattle going to Nebraska, probably like I don't know, one or two in the morning in South Dakota, pull in, fueling up and guy walks by and I, I think I said, hi, or how's it going? And we had a, just a simple conversation and we get done and he goes, man, I've always been really scared of the bull haulers. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Why would you be scared of the bull haulers? You guys just seem really mean and rough. And, and, you know, and then if you actually look at it, we just grew up doing that. So if you look at it from the outside, I'm like, you know, I guess I can see how the trucking world can get kind of clickish, and we're all in our separate groups and there isn't a spot where if you're not a bull hauler, you can come learn about, you know, those ways or just the different aspects of trucking. I think you're right to provide a spot where you can come in to, to gain some mentorship because there's, there's so many young truckers and people out there that just don't, don't have a clue about these old ways and these things and these, this style and this, because it was such a culture back in the day. It's just this, it was a thing. It was like, it was like classy and like cool. Now it's like trashy and just not, not cool to so many people where that, that wasn't the case back in the day. You know, I, the podcast art, the little square that says steady at the wheel, the guy that I had put that together for us when I was telling him what we were doing, he told me that he had a cousin, younger guy, I think early twenties, who was super excited, always wanted to be a trucker. So he went to trucking school, graduated, started driving and he was done in a couple months. It was not what he had hoped for. And I think what he was hoping for was he was going to find a place with some community and there was nothing. He was, he was out there on his own, couldn't get help with anything, couldn't, couldn't find any, I mean, what do trucking schools teach you nowadays? I mean, my schooling was designed to teach us how to pass our licensing exams. Trucking school teaches you how to pass your CDL exam. I don't know if that's what trucking is. No, it's so much more to it than that. And you're right. It's just the bare minimum to get onto the highway legally. They don't teach you about how to, yeah, they, they don't teach culture. They don't teach lifestyle of, of what it is. So the, I think these new drivers get out there and it's very lonely. Like trucking is lonely. You're just by yourself for hours and hours and then you go to bed by yourself. And then you get up and you're by yourself. And I can see why after a month you'd have been like, mm, no, <laughs> no, not doing this just for the loneliness. You know, there's no, no community. Well, so that's, I mean, some of the thrust of this podcast is we're hoping to, to start to create some community. You're thinking like a home for people to be able to come to eventually, maybe a place where people can correspond with each other, just meet, learn understand I mean, and create who knows yeah who knows maybe we start uh, having rallies wouldn't that be cool <laughs> trucker would you guys like that rallies. <laughs> but i mean ultimately to create some identity when you have identity you have purpose you have pride have meaning i think that we've as we've talked the past like i said the past year and a half that's kind of what we've come to is we'd like to work to help truckers new truckers old truckers people that want to be truckers have a place to come in and find identity. And I think a lot of that comes through mentorship, which I'm going to admit is not going to come much from me. 
<laughs> you don't think? You're going to leave me to teach the ways of the road. But, you know, speaking of that, I, maybe we should talk about our background with trucking. I don't have a memory that doesn't involve with dad being a truck. It's everywhere. In- our whole formative life from my earliest memory till I left home at, at 19 was every single week dad was, was uh, on the road. I, you know, that's going to be the same for you. You being younger than me, you know, it was dad, dad trucking. Maybe we'll tell his story a little bit. You know, he bought and sold livestock. That was most of his trucking located in, in Fairfield, Montana. He would mostly buy, you know, let me backtrack with this. A lot of the livestock that dad would buy was the coal hogs from Hooterite colonies. We'll get into what Hooterites are at some point in here and explain that to you. But now I am a dentist. Well, or I, I do dental work. I don't know that I always, I don't know if I want to quite take the label. That's what I do. That's what I am, but I. It's I, one of your things. One of my things is I <laughs> fix teeth. things for sure. Among other things. But I do have a lot of, a lot of the patients that come in are, are from the Hooterite colonies. And most of these guys that come in all, they all knew dad because he bought all their pigs. And I, the, one of the hog guys, the, the boss man of the hogs, one of these colonies came in and he just said, he goes, we wouldn't even consider selling those sows that your dad would take on anymore. But that's what dad would do. He'd, he'd find all these, these animals that weren't worth a whole lot out here and he'd, he'd load them up into his truck and ship them to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. So that was weekly. Yeah, that was every week. And you know, the funny part about dad's story <laughs> getting into trucking is that dad had no, he had no dreams, no desires of being a trucker. Like, it was all I ever wanted since I was like, first time I could go, which is probably at like age two. I mean, I was potty trained on the truck. Dad potty trained me <laughs> on the way to South Dakota. And that's all that I've ever wanted. But it wasn't that way for Rooster. See, he had, you know, they would buy this livestock and then find a place to market it and they would ship it. And they kind of ran into trouble with trucking. They're like, man, if we spend a lot of money, iron trucks, you know shipping stuff out all the time, all over the place. You know, wouldn't it be nice to just have our own truck to be able to ship livestock on our own schedule and not have to worry about other people's schedules? So they ended up buying a truck, dad and grandpa and uh, uncle Lyle. They bought a truck and they got a driver first load out of the gate. You remember the old side loader? So dad's truck was a California side loader, which meant instead of backing up to a chute to walk the livestock into the trailer, you would pull along sideways. And some of you listening are nodding your head going, oh yeah, I remember the old side loaders. So you'd pull alongside the chute. You'd basically drop, think of it like a gangplank from a boat to the dock. Same thing from from the semi to the chute. You'd drop this little gangplank down so the livestock could walk across it into the trailer. But the other part of it, was a board basically you'd pull a rope and it was like this guillotine style piece of plywood that would lift up and make enough room for the livestock to walk in and then you'd let it down and when you let it down it would keep them in the trailer so first trip out the gate with this new truck driver he uh you know you get the livestock in and you close the you're supposed to actually let the plywood down first so that it covers their, you know, their rear ends. And if it's cows, they're not going to be able to kick you, kind of protects you. And then you lift the gangplank up. Because a lot of times livestock will kick that 
that gangplank, I'm going to call it, and it'll slam back down and can hit in the shins or in the foot. Well, from what I understand, if I remember this correctly, from what I was told, he closed the gangplank first and got it closed and fastened it. And then he went to let the plywood think of this like a, a guillotine, guillotine, and he lost track of the rope, slipped through his hands, and he had one hand on, <laughs> on the gangplank. So basically just guillotine down, boom, and ends up just like breaks his hand, breaks his fingers. So truck's loaded, truck's ready to go to wherever they were going. And truck driver comes out with his shaking hand, ah, ah, fingers pointing every direction, you know. And Rooster goes, and I asked him, he's like, no, I'd never driven a semi before. He didn't even driven one before. And so he goes, I had to just figure it out. I just had to, you know, they'd been on the farm, so they know kind of that stuff. But he goes, I had to just step in and do it. And that was, it was all downhill from there. <laughs> Once I started, why should we pay a driver when I can just drive the truck? And oh, so that was how he first got started driving. Oh, man. <laughs> I think as we talk and, and memories start coming back, I think we will probably be able to speak to many injuries with that game plank oh, and dude and, and shoot that tailgate or whatever you call it that board that comes down because that's yeah we're gonna go down a rabbit hole if i say it but i'm just gonna say the last trip i ever took for dad which was i took a load to south dakota myself it's like my first time going solo in the old cab over i had one of the interior ramps come down and hit me in the head and knocked me out in the trailer just knocked me out cold just Huge, I got these huge scars on my head that still sunburn easily and get sore to the touch today. It was like a parting gift, one of the last <laughs> the last loads ever. Like, here's sun, kapow! Just enjoy that little treasure for the rest of your life. My clearest memory of injury with those loading is so you side load, so you pull in next to that, next to the loading chute. And you know, then that gangplank you're talking about goes down so with dad's truck it, it was double decker so with hogs you'd load the bottom and then our loading chute had a you know you could divert them and it would go up a ramp to the top deck of that truck like a two-level chute two level chute, yeah mm-hmm. in fact this is a good time to tell we've got an instagram page steady at the wheel podcast that's where it's at we'll have to go take a, a reel or a video of that chute uh, because that chute's still, still there. there it's still sitting there so we'll have to go take a little oh. walk through so you can, you can kind of see what we're talking about. But anyway, you had to be in pretty close to that chute or else you'd have a gap between the truck and the edge of the chute that you'd inevitably have an animal stick its head and pop out and fall down. Cause, yeah, because normally if, if a truck backs up to a loading dock, this is reefers, anything, it seals against the dock. Like you can't slip out the side, but side loaders did not. There's no, no way to seal them. So occasionally, if the gap was too big that you couldn't get it sealed, a child standing in that gap would be perfect, perfect, perfect fit to block that gap. I was often that child. What would you say that that second deck? How high is that off the ground? Fifteen feet. It's the top of the trailer would be about thirteen six. So you're probably ten feet to the to the floor. To the, okay, of the chute, ten feet where your feet are. Okay. But when you're, but when you're, oh yeah, when you're eight years old, it's might as well be four stories. So imagine the gap between the truck and the chute that needs to be blocked, twelve inches maybe. 
Yeah. It doesn't seem like much, but that's enough for a, for a, pig. For a pig to, even a big pig somehow figures away. I don't know, maybe, maybe 15, 18 inches. I don't know. Not very much. So dad put me up on the top there and said, you need to stand here and not let anything through. And I was, I didn't care. I didn't care for this idea. <laughs> you know? I said, I, I think I'm going to fall. Well, and, and once the pigs come too, it's not like they come in one at a time, real nice and easy. Pigs, they don't do that. It's either none are coming up to shoot or the entire group of 20 is clamoring, climbing over each other to get in into the trailer. Okay. Yeah. So keep exactly. that in mind as it goes on here. So, yeah, it wasn't one that came up. It was the whole group came up and I'm not even sure how it happened, but I immediately, immediately got pushed through that gap between the truck and the chute. And I just fell all the way down. The whole way? The whole way to oh, hit the geez. ground. And um, you hit the ground and I couldn't fall down because there wasn't room to fall down. Because <laughs> the gap is only 12 to 15 inches. Wait, so you, you didn't get popped out. You fell down the, down the crack? Fell down the crack. Got pushed <laughs> down by the pigs. I'm not sure how dad thought a little kid was going to. Yeah, so it pushed me and I fell all the way down there. No one even knew what happened to me because they're pushing the pigs up, loading them. They load the pigs in and they look down and I'm stuck between the chute. Where's Luke? I mean, this is, I still remember this clearly. I was doing gymnastics at the time and all dad said was, well, did you stick the landing? (laughs) (laughs) I had no choice to because I had no place to fall forward or backward or to the sides because I was pinching there. Going down. In In fact, they, um. It was tighter at the bottom. I, they, I couldn't just crawl. That Someone had to come from the top and lift me up a little bit to even give me room to get out. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Side loaders, man. You guys, you guys, <laughs> it's just hard to, we can, we can share these stories, but you'll just never understand what it's like. You just never get the full, full effect. I'm going to just share one last little trick that Rooster liked to do with loading. <laughs> Because these will be stories where when Rooster's here and actually has to account for these stories, we're going to share some of these again. And you get to hear what Rooster has to say for himself. Because I would love to know what he's got, what he's got up his sleeve as far as an explanation. But before the pigs would go in the truck, you would have to put bedding in there, right? And I've learned in my older years that everybody uses sawdust. That's like the industry standard for pigs. We never, ever use sawdust. What do we use? Barley straw. Barley straw. Barley straw. You guys, there's not just straw. It's not like straw, straw. There's wheat straw and basically in barley straw. And barley straw will just itch you to death. The dust is, I'm starting to get the shivers already thinking about it in there. So it'd be summertime because we're out of school. It'd be hot, hot, super hot. And Rooster would throw a bale of straw in the, in the trailer. It was into these different decks, you know, these different compartments. And in the, in the trailer, the belly decks only had just enough clearance that a, a kid could kind of walk on his haunches around, you know, an adult couldn't even get in there unless you're on your hands and knees. So dad would say, you know, you need to put one bale on the, you know, half the bale on the, the top deck of the belly and the other half needs to go underneath into the very bottom of the belly. And there's not much room in there. And if dad didn't, you'd go in and you start spreading the straw. And all the while, you could hear the squeal of the pigs as they're starting to bring them up the chute. Remember this? And you start getting nervous and you start throwing straw and you're flinging it. And you're supposed to kind of do a nice job. And if he just didn't think you were quite doing it quick enough, 
he'd just bring him in, bring him in the trailer. He didn't care. He's like, well, sorry, son. You should be quicker. And so he start loading. So you, there's only one way out. It's just the entrance into the compartment. And that's the only way in or out. You turn around, all of a sudden, there's three or four pigs coming into the trailer. And now as an adult, you realize like pigs, they're not going to do anything to you. But when you're that age. Terror. Oh. Terror. <laughs> just, just head to toe shock and horror and like, well, I guess this is, this is all. This is it. You're in a metal box. Yep. That has, I would say worse than some prison cells because it has the slats in the side of the trailer for airflow, which I don't know, four inches. So it's just enough that you can turn your face sideways and look out and scream and yell like, stop, stop. I'm in here. Like you're yelling, I'm in here. And assuming that there's no way that dad knows, they must've forgot that they sent me the small runtus child in to spread the straw. Oh no. He knew every time, but he just, his strategy was, well, it'll make you do it faster next time. I can't wait on you. I, I've the terror turning around and seeing those pigs and the entrance coming into that deck. It's about two and a half feet tall, yep. maybe three feet, probably two and a half. Yeah. yeah it's very, feet. it's not tall at all. It's wider than it is tall. Wider. Yeah. Not, I don't know if it's even four feet. No, it's three feet wide and probably two feet tall. It's like that, this little rectangle. That's, the only way out. Mm-hmm. And as you look your only way out, you see that filled with hogs coming in at you. Yeah. And you'd always start spreading straw at the front of the compartment and then work your way back. So when they start coming in, you were clear 15 feet in the back corner of the compartment going, not only do I have to survive, I have to crawl my way up through the pigs to get out. So that was, anyway, that, that was a little background to just some of the little treasures that we endured that I, by the way, I wouldn't trade for, for anything now. Oh man, so the whole program with Dad set up, you know, he was independent. Sunday night, everyone who has livestock to sell for the week, and this is predominantly pigs, but Dad would also buy everything, goats, sheep, llamas, horses, cows. Just anything you can make money, make a little money on, that was the... You ship it back east, yeah. throw it on the truck, ship it back east. This is a side note, when we were growing up, everybody had a few pigs. Everybody. Everybody did. you you breed a pig, you raise a few up, butcher them, you got your, got your sausage. There was always an outlet because dad would buy all of them. Right now, since you know, dad doesn't do that anymore, there, no one has pigs here. It's hard to find a pig if you want one to raise. You're on me because very few, because you have no outlet for them if you have excess pigs. There's, um, anyway, so, so dad would, so Sunday night, our phone calls all evening long, Helen, who's bringing stuff in Monday, everyone brings, brings their livestock into the, what we call the feedlot, you know, kind of gather everything Monday, buy it all. And then uh, Tuesday, load it up, hit the road, you know, Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday evening, drive straight through to Sioux Falls. And uh, he'd pick up, we ne- he never got a full load out of the feedlot here. It was always, he had contacts all across the state. So from, you know, for the first 250 miles, you'd stop at least four times on top of all the odds and ends that you'd gathered here. You'd stop it. They didn't just meet you on the side of the highway and back their trailers back up to the side of the Right up to that side loader. This, you know, this guy's got five sows. This guy's got one butcher hog. This guy's got a bum. Bums were the pigs that just didn't turn out. They didn't grow or they had a little defect on a hot dog type pigs. And I mean, he'd take any and everything, but it was just nonstop. That whole Tuesday was 
stop and go and stop and go. Just thinking back, some of the, the events involved with that is boars. Boars will fight to the death. Boars. And you should say boars. <laughs> they're not, uh, oh, they're, not, they're not raised together fight to the death. So Literally, they will. They're just to the death. So every boar that came in got his canine teeth, his fangs basically cut out. Yeah. Because boars, they, they, they grow, especially, especially outdoor boars, but all boars would, would get, well, the tusks. They're the big tusks. And some would get, you know, actually the ones that were the, the least gnat gnarly were the ones that had the big curves like you see on the wild hogs. Those would get kind of fairly soft or round on the ends. The more the confinement boars get just those like three inch razor daggers. And so dad would, he'd, we call, we called it detusking. He'd clip the tusks out so that you could put them together and they would, they would live. It seemed awful, but they were saving the lives. Well, they, man, they, they'd fight, but they fight, but they couldn't cut each other up without those yeah. tusks. Yep. Put a rope right over the snout, basically yet. It's just the top and the top half. Rope, just the top, just the, the top, top half, half, not the bottom jaw. Mm-hmm. And usually you, you get it right behind those first tusks. Or the, yep. not their first tusk, but the tusks. Yeah. It just a, a rope with a loop. Go in there, slide that in there. And almost the second you tighten it down, they immediately back up. And when they back up, their mouth pops open. And then you, you dally that, um, speaking again of having kids do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, so, <laughs> this, this one, by the way, you guys, this one was truly getting pigs loaded in on top of you in the trailer. That was all scary, but this one literally... I felt like was the worst. Not not only because it was scary, but it was like a fight you against the boar while dad's clipping these tusks out. So boars are big. <laughs> to give you an idea, all the boars that dad would get were at the end of their breeding cycle, their breeding life. And a small boar would be 400 pounds. And they would, that, that was a rarity. Most of these boars were, you know, 500 to 650 pounds. And then every once in a while you get a monster, like two in my lifetime that were a thousand pounds of boar. But even then, like the, oh, yeah, it's just a good old boar, five, 600 pounds. So you get that rope over that snout and dad would get in there. This was always done on the scale. So the scale, I don't know, this thing is going to be, how big is the scale? It's probably 15 feet. Yeah, I bet it was right. about 10 feet wide and 15 long. So not real big. Yeah. Or is in there. Dad gets in there, gets the rope on. Closes himself in with the boar, by the way. Like locks himself into the scale. And, it's a small And pen. he has his child. His child on the outside. <laughs> right on the edge. Yeah, on the outside edge. So as a kid, you're not going to get beat up by this boar. But he pulls that rope and he dallies it over over one of the you know one of the boards on the side of the scale and then he starts on yanking on that rope pulling that board as close as he can and every time he yanks you are expected to yank at the same time and take up all that slack all the slack yeah because he needs that board like snubbed up against the fence like it's got to be he can't, it can't move around yeah right. it, it can't have and so when you're a kid so the other thing that board as soon as he gets starts having that pressure he backs up and opens his mouth and starts squealing but a boar squeal is not a squeal it's it is an ear-splitting scream it's not an oink oink here and an oink oink there (laughs) 
like the song. No, it's like unearthly. So you've got this huge boar, got your dad in there about to cut, you know, cut these tusks out and you have all of the pressure holding on this rope so that boar can't go. You know, that boar will lunge back and that rope will slip a couple inches and you're just terrified. And you're screaming at the same time, crying, screaming. Hold at least I was. Because <laughs> you think you can't hold that rope. And if you let go of the rope, in your young mind, your dad's pretty much dead. Because you know, remember they start chomping? Oh, yeah, yeah. When they get they start getting upset and they start biting, chomping their teeth together, their mouth together, and create that foam. Froth. froth. Yeah, just, froth. Just, just tons of froth pouring so, out of So there's mouth. old rooster in there with this thing. It's frothing and, and you're trying to hold the rope and you know, if I let go, Dad is dead. And if he doesn't die, then I'm dead. Then I'm dead. <laughs> For letting go of For that let- rope. Ah! I can't, I can't tell you how many, how many times oh. my hands were either when it was done, I've been gripping that rope so hard that I could barely let go of it because your hands are clamped. Or you got rope burns, uh, in, rope your, burn? in your fingers Ooh. and burn them almost mm. like closed. Burn them. So then he got, it's just, he just clips them with, uh, Horse hoof trimmers. Yeah, horse nippers. Yep. Just clips those tusks out. Because they're kind of soft at the bottom, actually. They just clip just right clip out. Clip right out and then kick the boars out and into a big boar pen and they just start hammering each other. Yeah, you immediately. Know? Yep. But they, and then, and then you, uh, 24 hours later, mm-hmm. less than that, when it's time to, uh, to load everything up. So that's on Monday. On Tuesday, when it's time to load, boars are completely calm. Yeah. They've all sorted out who's boss. No fighting. And, did you ever go in and kind of place wagers on the boars? Did you? Ever, you were a little older, so you didn't really have someone to do that with. No. But when the cousins had come, you know, and the lamros were up for the summer, we would, after we get all, we'd you know, we'd push the sows around and pen them, and then the boars would still be fighting, and we'd pen the last of the boars, and we'd sit on the fence, and we'd all, it was me and Coulter and Jake and Lee, we'd all decide, pick our boar. And I mean, they just go in there for an hour, hour and a half, and make the rounds, and we would kind of pick and you know, which one looks like a beast. And usually you could pick the the big guy, but every once in a while, there was one little kind of feisty little 500 pounder that'd just be banging on those big dogs and surprise you, but we'd always, and if it was real hot in the summer, you have to spray them with water because they'd, they'd overexert fighting so bad and get so hot that they could die. So we'd have to spray them with water while they're fighting. And when they were fighting, you can't chase them. You can't do no, nothing. nothing. They, they just, their mouth would just chomp, 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 chomp. Mm-hmm the amount of froth and you know they'll they'll sit there basically shoulder to shoulder yeah yeah their heads crossed you know next so, to each other so it's inside shoulder inside shoulder yeah. and they'll sit there and just lean on each other and chomp chomp froth 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 and it ah think like those science experiments where you're making the volcano yeah when you do vinegar and yeah 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 it's just their mouths yeah. are erupting it and then there's always a little bloody froth because they just got their yeah. teeth clips there's a little blood and then there's just most violent explosion of speed and power as they slam when each they other. Hit? And oh man, that froth goes flying everywhere. If you're anywhere close, all over you. And then they'll do that, and then one will squeal and run off. And yeah, that's you that's don't know it. why they decided that. Like what in their mind was like, I'm out. But then they were done. Then they just go lay down, and that was it. And then when you go to to load them, everyone jumps up and moves except the boss. Yeah. And he's ready to fight you. Yeah. Then you're the next. You're the next one because yeah. you're challenging him. He doesn't want to, yeah, he doesn't want to chase. He just spent all night establishing dominance and who's this kid coming in the morning to move him. I was doing some leveling in our driveway a couple weeks ago, moving dirt level in the driveway. 
Ozzy, my six-year-old kid, he came in a while later. He goes, Dad, what's this? And it was a boar tusk. Oh, really? That had been buried in the dirt. And we had a big jar and we, all those tusks, we, we kept all those tusks for years. And we just had a, a huge jar of them, of hundreds of, hundreds of these tusks. I don't know what happened to it. But there was one tusk that I had always particularly liked when I was a kid that I had brought home and always kept it with me. I kind of was, was like a lucky rabbit, but I was oh. kind of rubbed on it. It was that tusk. Really? From over 20 years ago. <laughs> just 25, 30 years ago. Oh, it was buried in the dirt out there and he brought it in and he's, what's it? I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Oh, but, so he wanted to, he really wanted to know the stories similar to what we, we've been talking about here, clipping these teeth, but told him, you know, when we were kids and we'd have to go bring the boars up to load, you'd always have that one that you would have to fight. Yeah. And you literally would. Yeah. I started telling him about it and I started thinking, how old was I when, and I'll explain what I mean by fight these boars, but you have to, lack of better term, establish dominance yeah, because they won't, you can't chase them. You're trying to chase them down an alleyway towards the chute and they won't turn their back to you. They face you the entire time and back until you establish, like you said, they will just basically face you down and you have to kind of get them to walk backwards for like a hundred yards. And working with pigs, a lot of times you use a, a hot shot cattle prod, you know, with a, yeah, wand, a, little, a little bit of juice, yep. electricity. The boss or responds the opposite almost what we want it doesn't get him to go away he'll he'll come at you he'll come at you so yeah. you, and so i was explaining to ozzy my kid what you'd have to do and i again i was like how old was i when i learned to do this and was doing this and essentially you um get a big rock this is how i would normally do it i get a big rock and you Throw it as hard as you can right onto the bridge of that thing's nose. If you hit him just right, kind of tuck his nose down and arch his back and back up and shake his head a little bit. And you do it like one, one more time. You couldn't use a stick. You usually had to use a pole. I guess I couldn't do that till I got older and I could swing a pole. And you could do the same thing. You could smack that thing right on the bridge of the nose. This might sound like really awful <laughs> to you listening, but literally it is establishing dumb there's no other way to get these to move like they're not going to move you know it's not like oh leave them alone and they'll come around no they will lay there under that shade the rest of the week and they'll miss the truck like there's no way around it so you literally have to go fight him now again hitting him on the nose that pig nose you can do the work of a tractor with a plow metal plow with a pig's nose it's true that pig true. nose I mean, you, you, you look down in, uh, I mean, Texas is one that always talks about the billions with a B yeah. dollars of crop damage every year that happen due to pigs. Yeah. You can plow your field with a pig's nose. It, pigs. That nose is indestructible, but you pop them a couple of times and they just, they they'll just back off. Tell, they go. And, but yeah, I was thinking, man, I just might get into fight. <laughs> That rooster would do it. That's what we did. And then, and then if you didn't get it done, it was kind of a, it was almost a little bit shameful. You'd feel a little shameful because when you're younger, you weren't quite, I, you know, like I'd have trouble getting it done and I just couldn't. And then dad had come in there when he was done doing whatever he's doing and would just show you the ways and just pure powerhouse. And dad's big old strong, you know, it's like, he's the strongest man I ever, you know, even now. And you just sit there and be like, wow. Wow. Huh. So that's how you do it. 
<laughs> you try again next week. Nope. <laughs> At least that's, you know, for me, I, oh, I was probably 15 before I was <laughs> strong enough to establish my dominance. I have to get dad one of those times when he's on here to talk about when he was in the, the death struggle with a sow at that, uh, at that place outside of Lewistown. Oh, yeah. Good little, he had a sow get out, got in the borrow pit of the road. And I think they were both rolling around in a death struggle in the borrow pit. <laughs> I don't think he'd ever had a problem with the pig as much as that. Oh, we'll have to have him yeah. tell that story. That was a pretty good story. Yeah. Anyway, everything's loaded up. Tuesday, head out. Uh, drive all night. I mean, once those pigs are loaded, I mean, with any livestock, you, you can't really stop. You got to push no, through. And, and, you'll, and you'll talk about this yeah, more with your livestock are, hauling. Yeah, they were way more temperamental than anything else. But especially during the, the summertime, get them loaded up and then you immediately get the hose on them. Oh, and yeah, here's why. Most people that truck, they truck commercially, meaning you need, a, some, you need some pigs moved. You call the trucker, trucking company comes in, loads them up. If they lose some pigs along the way, meaning if some pigs die due to the heat or, or you know, whatever, the stress, it's not as big of a, I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not as big of a deal because that trucker doesn't own them. They've got insurance on and on. Dad owns all the livestock that he hauls. So technically he was always hauling. He rarely ever trucked for hire. He was always hauling his own stock. So because of that, he's got $25,000, $30,000 worth of hogs that he just paid for the day before on Monday or Tuesday morning in the back of his truck. So if he gets tired and wants to take a nap or he can't really lollygag because they're, when he loses a hog, he paid, you know, for out of his pocket for the deal. It's not, it's a little different than commercial livestock trucking because he owns it all. So summertime when it's hot, you know, those pigs are stress loading up. They get in there, they're all packed in hot. So immediately, again, kid's job, get the water on them. So you got a hose and you're, you're just spraying through the sides of the truck water onto these pigs to try and get them cooled down from loading, get all the straw, the bedding wet. Some of my memories actually i feel like the water coming out of the back ends of those animals back out at me <laughs> and onto me was a long time more than the water i was putting on right. like that's my that's my main memory of when it's like get the water on it's like ah, all right get ready for the piss showers yeah you know those animals are especially if it was cows and those cows are standing up and yeah when they go there, you know, their butts right up against there and they just. Yeah. Well, and he would, you know, a lot of times they have mixed loads and you don't water cows or the sheep, but sometimes you have cattle, sheep and pigs all on one load in compartments that are next door or the pigs would be on top of the cows, meaning on the top deck up above the cows. And so, yeah, you'd have to climb right on the side, you know, to spray up there and, and get the cows or get the pigs, excuse me, wet without getting the cows wet. And of course, yeah, being that close to the, the slats, you get some, you, you get, get some showerage for sure. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the urine out of a cow, a lot of times doesn't have a whole lot of different consistency than the manure. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're getting showered. You just know it's wet. You don't know if it's green or gold, yeah. but it's wet. Yeah. Then he'd, he'd push through and get to, so for my time period of growing up until I left, I think pretty much everything went to Sioux Falls. And I know after I had, I had left, uh, he started going to some different places, but Sioux Falls Stockyards. Yeah. The Sioux Falls Stockyards was set up in a way that 
it was a little different. They called it the stockyards. Uh, most stockyards is as a livestock auction. Well, the Sioux Falls Regional, is that what they called it back then? But anyway, they had not only the weekly auctions or bi-weekly auctions, but they also, they made the facility so huge that they would lease out pen space to different, they called them commission companies. Basically, you could take a load of, of hogs and dad would always sell them on the way there. But you'd call three different commission companies that were all located in the Sioux Falls stockyards. This is downtown. Some of you old timers will remember they've since torn it down, but it was right across from John Morrell down below the big canal. And in fact, didn't they have from the, where you, the stockyards were, didn't they have underground tunnels, right? Tunnels to the that kill went plant. right to the yep. kill plants. Yeah. Yep. John Morrell had a huge, I think it still does maybe has a, has a plant there. So he would call the different commission companies and they'd basically bid. He'd say, look, I got uh, so many of this and that and, you know, thin sows and fat sows and butchers. And he'd kind of tell them what he had and they'd give him a bid. And when you got to Sioux Falls, you'd unload at one of, say, three commission companies there. And usually it was always the same company that kind of won out. And you usually sold to the same outfit, but that's how Sioux Falls was set up back in the day. I got it. Some of my memories of the stockyards in Sioux Falls. First off, it was the biggest thing I'd ever seen. Huge, huge. You go in there. I always had anxiety when we'd get there that uh-huh. I was going to get lost. Get lost. Because, yep. so you've got the truck, which like Jackson said, you've got thin sows, fat sows, butchers, sized pigs, bums, big variety. They would go to different spots mm-hmm. in the stockyard. And it was all under this big roof. Yeah, that's what was so unique about this place. It was just massive and all undercover. Hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of pens and alleys. But think about it, if you ever saw that um, David Bowie movie, Labyrinth, oh, yeah. <laughs> where the labyrinth would change, <laughs> like they couldn't find their way out because the openings and the, the pathways would change on them behind them. So yeah. this was set up. Or you could make alleys and you could make pens by just switching the gates around. Yeah. It wasn't like dedicated alleys and dedicated yeah. pens. So sometimes dad would push a, a group of pigs up into where they were going. And he'd want me to follow with ones or vice versa. He'd yeah, send give me, me a couple minutes and then bring and then, these. And yeah. as, his, he would, as he would move his forward, he would re-change where the stuff go that my group comes. Yeah. But I... You didn't know. I didn't know where he went, where anything was. And it was so big. It was terrifying. It was, it was like this maze. I mean, now I probably would be tall enough. I could just look over the yeah, fence. And well, see but to the, go. the thing was though about those stockyards was nowadays when they build, what are these big new feedlot coverings called the monos? Monoslopes. Yeah. They're like elevated and big clear span style stuff. This was old school wood. Everything was built out of wood and they brought the sides of the buildings down. So once you were in there, it was like dark and it was just fluorescent lighting. I mean, you couldn't like climb up on the fence and see. You'd like, eventually it would get dark and you couldn't see past the darkness. You're like, it's in there somewhere. (laughs) It was dark, man. And then I found out the rats that were in there. You remember the rats and the flies? Remember the flies? Just so many flies. I don't remember the flies. But you know what? No, I don't remember the flies. I just remember. The rats? We don't have rats here to speak yeah. of where we're we at. Have, like mice big mice yeah. and big mice i mean maybe the size of the palm of my hand yeah. biggest yeah 
like field mice, brown mice, you know, like that get in your car and chew on stuff. And so then you watch a show, you know, like in New York City and the rats. And <laughs> like in the gutters, like here's the rats. Now, I remember one time, I think we're unloaded or, and I was, and dad was talking to someone and I just kind of started wandering around and I looked in the window, which was one of the sale, the auction rooms mm-hmm. you know, where the, the, whatever would come through the ring. And it was, all the lights were off except for just a couple, you know, it was after hours and something came out of a hole in that room. And it took me a minute to realize that it was a rat. It's a new, new species you'd never experienced. I mean, it, it looked time. like a small dog and I'm, I'm not exaggerating. This thing was, it was gigantic. And that's when I realized that whole feedlot was full of those things. Just loaded. So now, now I'm, as this kid, I'm terrified of getting lost in there. <laughs> With these giant, <laughs> giant rats rolling okay, around. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw back to um, another movie, Princess Bride, when they go into that, Yo, that yeah. fire swamp. Yeah, totally. Oh, terrifying. That, that's, that's, all I was, that, that's all I was thinking. And there was oh, the R-O-U-S is rodents of unusual size. Oh, man. So, yeah, oh, then, you guys. Oh. And then the, uh, yeah, it was common. Because basically, dad would throw anything on that truck, get on there, and you'd have a couple deads you know some stuff die on the road because a lot of them they were they were in bad shape to start with i mean they're like here try to get this out to market and he wouldn't give much for the he knew he kind of you're kind of gambling on him yeah so well think if you got a a 500 pound boar yeah who dies up on the top deck of your semi at the very front furthest away from the gate you you can't drag that thing out so these uh they had a dead pile at this the stockyard. And this is not like, you know, this is normal to, to yards. They have things die and you have to put them somewhere until the rendering company comes and picks them up. And they'd have a big winch. Yeah, the cable winch. The cable winch. So you'd open it and drag this cable up, you know, through the truck, yeah. hook it onto the whatever's dead. And so dad would have, I don't know if you ever had this experience, run the winch. While he's up in the truck, yeah, making sure nothing's can, hanging up, right? Know, getting it out of there. I never thought anything of this until a month ago. <laughs> I had a, I can't wait to see what you're going to say. I had a month ago. I had a patient come in to get some dental work, and he was missing the top half of his pointer finger. Okay, which is like a trademark of old school. But this is new. Oh, this was young. Bandaged. Oh, and he, and he goes, "Hey, look what happened here." Ah. He goes, I go, what happened? He goes, yeah, the winch that we used to pull our deads out of the barn. No, I got way. my finger stuck in it and it cut my finger off. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so I immediately flash back to all the times that I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten Push year old me button. down there running the winch. Yep. Have all my fingers, but I got them all. You need them now more I than ever. When he said that's how he cut his finger off, I couldn't believe it that that's. That's a rarity to find someone these days losing the finger too. He got it right underneath that uh, that cable, right as it was wrapping tight. Just popped it right off. Done. Not even a chance of saving it. Pop. Oh. <laughs> so that yeah, that's some of my. So that's Sioux Falls. Oh yeah. You know, and they tore all that down. You can still see it on Google Maps, and you can see the outlines. You can see the old concrete. They haven't. I can't believe they haven't built anything there. But it's all. It's all gone. It had to be the most unbelievable fire hazard. 
And I think that's why, probably part of why. And then they rebuilt, they moved the stockyards out to um, not Worthington, Worthing, not to be confused with Worthington, Minnesota, but Worthing, South Dakota. They just, the whole everything, they moved it out, but they got, I think they got rid of all the commission companies and stuff. And now it's more of a traditional sale barn, but uh, I'd be curious to know now how big that really was. Because as a kid, it was, I'd never seen anything that big. I think it was the biggest thing ever made back when it was made. I think it was, you know, and maybe it, you know, your young mind sometimes perceives things different, but they had a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to look that up. Or if I, anyone listening to this knows the size of that. Yeah. I still run into some old, some old school, like some, uh, some Wisconsin guys that actually said they hauled in there every week and when you tell them do you remember the old blue side loader cab over oh yeah i remember that truck and and this is how you actually know that someone's not just agreeing with you he said many times i had to park on the road and wait because your dad blocked like four of the unloading chutes at one time with that side loader <laughs> so we would sit on the road and wait for him to finish and that's when you knew like this guy really knew who rooster was because he's legit because he sat on the road patiently waiting to get those hogs off you know uh dad's trucks were always blue always blue what was the first one what kind of truck was that it was a 1980 freightliner cab over it came just as a flat top just your standard spring ride no no air ride nothing didn't even actually have power steering it had and some of you old timers will remember this it was probably amazing when it came out, but now it's technology that you kind of cringe at, but it was called air assist. And it was where they didn't have actual power steering, but they had an air ram that would kind of sense the way you were trying to turn the wheel and it would send air into this ram and kind of push and help the steering. So when you'd go down the highway, you'd flick the switch and shut it off and you just use your strong arms to go down the road. But then once you got into the city, you'd flick the air assist on and you'd have to back that thing around and those side loaders took some serious backage, but you'd back it around with air assist and then shut it off when you got on the road. So it was a 1980 and then a few years down the road, he was, uh, he saw a brochure somewhere and again, we'll have to put some pictures up on Instagram of dad's old original, but he found there was companies making extra add-on sleepers. So he found one that he added on top of this flat top so it was kind of this upstairs layer in his truck, which turned out to end up being the kid's layer. So when we'd all go trucking, we'd just hang out up in the upstairs. And uh, he added that on kind of for some aerodynamics and some extra space. But uh, I remember when he got, I think he did that in Vegas. Yeah, it was Vegas. You're right. I remember, I remember that trip. Do you really? You yeah. went down and did that? Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll come back to that in a second. Yeah. But describing this truck, it, uh, you know, all these semis you see now, you have the truck hook a trailer onto right yeah they got a fifth wheel and this truck yep. this truck didn't have that nope basically it was the frame behind the cab was about 25 feet long 28 feet long and they set a box like a wilson trailer company made a box that they put on the back of there so it was like a they call it a straight truck with a double decker livestock box and it had a pinnel hitch pinnel hook excuse me on the back and then he pulled a like a 28 foot pup trailer little you know with a little belly on it uh, a pup trailer behind it 
And nowadays it's like archaic and arcane, but but back then you could haul, actually the whole reason he did it was because you could haul a little extra weight. I think he could haul 2,000 more pounds than everybody else legally because of the way the axle configurations were set up. And so that gave him a little more payload, which translated to more money. And in trucking, it's all about payload. So old Roost, you know, despite all of his ways, <laughs> he was way ahead of the times in uh, running that side loader over the road when everybody in the Midwest was just running regular cattle pots. Just, they called them possum belly cattle pots back then. That second sleeper mm. you got put on there. So if you think, uh, you see some trucks that on the, the roof of the truck, they'll have that wind scoop. Yeah. Right like truck. a, yep. Like a, air, like a wind deflector. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So this was essentially what it looked like, but instead of just being a hollow fiberglass shell, it was all enclosed it's and there furnished. was there was yeah. a queen mattress in there yeah but to get up into there there was just <laughs> a square cut out above the passenger seat yeah just like a like a trap door above your head so i mean if you're an adult you step on the seat and just pop up in there if you're a kid you kind of got a <laughs> scramble boat and i but that ended up being you know there's six kids in our family yeah sometimes there were six kids in the truck it's true. I, I would have to ask dad how many times he's driving and all of a sudden out of the corner of his eye, he sees a kid fall backwards out of that. And you fall into, and you fall down into the upside down into the footwell. And there's that little window down there, you know, on the passenger side and you kind of get your head squished into the window. So you're, you're, like, eh. you're up there wrestling and screwing around and lose track of space and oh, fall yeah. straight down that hole right, yeah, right into the oh, footwell of that passenger seat. My favorite part was getting upstairs kind of do like the mario super mario like bounce where you'd start jumping on the air ride of the passenger seat if you hit the jump just right it would kind of spring you up into the and then you could grab on and scramble over the edge and get up there probably in typical 80s you get that done in the 80s you think i would say if you remember it i have no memory of it being put on it i was always there it was always just part of the deal i'm gonna say late 80s early 90s so the whole interior of that was this like oh Vegas fur. Yeah, like polar bear fur. I think it was the ceiling, wasn't it? It was like white and blue. And, and all the walls. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Because you could like pet you could like pet the fur one direction. And then if you stroke the other direction, you could like write your name or yeah. draw pictures. You know, yeah, remember totally, what I'm talking totally, about? Totally, totally. Yesterday. Totally. <laughs> like really cheesy Las Vegas. Oh yeah. Yeah. The saddest thing for me is that I cannot find that truck. I can't find it. You know, when dad, he put two and a half million miles and it was rattled out. And I mean, just spring ride. You guys have got to imagine a spring ride truck doing two and a half million miles back and forth to Sioux Falls from Montana on those roads back in the day. I mean, there was nothing left of this truck. But in my mind now that I'm such a, like, I just will climb mountains for nostalgia. I would give anything in the world to find that truck, but it seems to have, you know, dad switched trucks in 2000, 2001, and it ended up getting sold to somebody and I just, I have lost track of it and Mm. I have no idea where it is. So what was the next truck? So two and a half million miles and dad was just plum happy to keep rolling because dad is no frills, no nothing extra. But his mechanic was like, Rooster, you probably should consider upgrading if you're going to keep trucking. 
now here's another thing. Nowadays, everyone trades their truck off every three years. They're like, time for a new truck. Not a rooster. You just keep throwing them big Cam Cummins motors in that thing, put another million on them, overhaul, put another fresh motor in. It was 2000, I'm almost positive. Uh, in 2000, he bought a 1991 International 9800 with a setback front axle. So you guys got to think now, we went from a spring ride cab over Freightliner from 1980 into a stretched out, you know, because we had to stretch it to put the box on it. A big, long, stretched out international with a condo sleeper had bunk beds plus another bed on, you know, that was built in above the seats. So you could sleep basically three different beds and room to stand up. You could get dressed standing up, which is something they hadn't experienced for 20 years of trucking. He never stood up <laughs> to get dressed. We bought this truck and it was interesting because it came out of our mechanic out here had a connection with Holst Truck Rebuilders in uh, Yukon, Idaho. And they're still there today, still doing business. And they had this international come in. Um, A farmer had bought it brand new and overheated it. It had a Big Cam 4, which as some of you remember, the Big Cam 4s were plagued with this new style of cooling that Cummins was playing around with called the low flow cooling system. And that cooling system almost bankrupted Cummins because it burned up so many motors because it was such a disaster. This was this low flow, supposed to be just this slow flowing coolant system. And it was a train wreck. So some poor farmer had bought this truck brand new and probably a hired man overheated it and just roasted it with, I think it had like 150,000 miles on it, which for a semi is the equivalent of about 20,000 on your car and blew the motor up. So they bought it, brought it up to Montana here. We uh, pulled the motor out, mechanic overhauled it, rebuilt the transmission, went through everything, just went through, made sure it was all tight and right, and it was air ride. And you guys, you just don't know unless you experience the, and, and there's so many few truckers left that can say, oh yeah, I remember when I first transitioned from spring ride to air ride. There are just not many of them left, still trucking. But it's just hard. You're uncomfortable driving. You think you're going to tip your first corner you turn with livestock on. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Because the, the truck tilts a little bit while the airbags are doing their thing. And I remember just being in there with dad and he was so uncomfortable, nervous. <laughs> but then when you get out on the straights, it was so quiet and, and dad could talk to you. You could sit in the passenger seat and he could talk to you and you're like, dad, this is amazing that we can talk. Because in, in Old Blue, by the end, the doors were rattled out. The engine was so loud. You'd say, Dad! And he'd hold his hand up kind of that, hold on. And he'd turn the radio down, he'd turn the air conditioner off, and then he'd yell, what? Across the doghouse <laughs> to you. And then you'd scream back at him. And so to go from that to this air ride, it was, it was nine years old at the time, but it, it had no miles on it. It just sat. So all the door seals were quiet and the insulation was tight. And it was just like... We literally just were driving on this heavenly highway in this truck. Oh, it was a good time. Oh, and here's the other thing. You guys, I talked him into putting aluminum wheels on it. Rooster, he he never put aluminum on anything. It was white steel wheels on his truck for 20 years. He's like, aluminum, no. Chrome lug nut covers, no. Uh, A chrome stack, no. Uh, Wash your truck. Rooster would wash his truck twice a year, twice a year. That's it. 
two times a year. So when I talked him into getting hand-polished aluminum, I was in eighth grade, talked him into hand-polished aluminum wheels and big, tall, six-inch stacks. I, when I saw it all put together, I just, just didn't seem real. I was like, there's no way that this is our truck. And this is a nine-year-old truck. You know, nowadays people look at a nine-year-old truck and they're like, uh, no, no thanks. But oh man, that was, I'll cherish that forever because it was just that feeling. That truck's still. Yep. So Rooster took it out and put, uh, I think he put another million and a half. Yeah. Cause yeah, a million and a half miles on that truck from 2000 till about 2013, 15 ish. And then the, the hog business just got slower and slower as the, you know, the marketing structure changed and these buyers from the Midwest started sending trucks out here. And he was getting old enough and we started ranching. But anyway, he put a million and a, not quite a million and a half on that truck. And uh, it's at the ranch because we used it when we started ranching full time. And it could go a lot of places that other trucks couldn't. So we used it. And now we just actually, a few weeks ago, you can see this on, uh, on my Wild Wild West YouTube channel. We took the box off of it and sold it actually to a Hooterite colony. They came and took the box and they're going to use it as a transfer, a biohazard transfer station between their truck and the, the truck going to market so they don't have to interact, which is a biosecurity thing. But anyway, it was kind of cool that after all these years, we got rid of the box and it went to a Hooterite colony to get put there permanently for the rest of eternity to use. They couldn't get away from like, pigs, could it? Couldn't be a better spot for that thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, and now we're, uh, we're in the process of putting a hay bed on it so that we can haul hay with it and just have it on the ranch for, uh, for a hay bed. We fired it up, uh, first time in, I think five years or six years and, uh, blew a little smoke for a bit, but we got her, got her primed up and going. So backhauls, tough to get a backhaul livestock from South uh, Dakota yeah. to Montana. Yep. So I don't know exactly how old I was when when dad realized that he could backhaul in his cow trailer truck, cow truck and trailer corn and soybeans from South Dakota back to Montana. Now, Oh, a town about 15, 20 minutes away from us. I think it was the only place in the state had a soy extruder, which means they would, would take soybeans and they would run it through an auger down to a, just a real small plate with holes in it. It would heat up these soybeans, which would kill that. It would it would destroy that enzyme that that makes it so livestock can't eat eat soybeans raw, and would turn into this meal. So he had an outlet for soybeans from South Dakota. He could backhaul them, so this place in in Shoto was the name of the town. Could get soybeans a little cheaper cost because he was backhauling it, and then he would also sometimes bring corn for different feedlots or dairies or you know, other livestock producers that wanted to eat some corn so i think what i'll have you do is you describe a typical hopper truck how that works in unloading <laughs> okay and then i'll explain <laughs> okay how what we unloaded of, yeah yin and yang this thing so a hopper trailer they call it a hopper trailer you see them on the road you see them on farms they're used for hauling grain and hopper trailers are specifically designed just for that for very quick and easy loading where the entire top of this trailer, basically a tarp rolls back. You can fill the entire trailer front to back with grain as quick as the loading equipment will allow. 
uh, whether that be five minutes or 30 minutes, boom, you're done. I uh, roll the tarp over, you go to your destination. And the whole inside of that trailer is basically what well, we call it hoppered, but it means that it's there's steep inclines so that all the product funnels, it's like a funnel. There's a, just two giant funnels in this trailer where all the product funnels down to a gate, a little gate in the bottom. And obviously, when you're driving, you close the gate. And when you are at your destination, you open the gate and the product through this miracle that we call gravity, the product will slide down the funnel and run out into the waiting arms of of the unloading equipment and can be unloaded literally without a single finger being lifted other than turning, turning the gate to open the gate. So a typical hopper will unload. Most places are, you know, 15 to 35 minutes unless they're, you know, having a struggle. And that's it. You unload the front funnel, the front hopper. Then you unload the back hopper. You close the gates. You go on your way and you go get your next load. And that's it. Piece of cake. So dad's question was, how do you turn a cattle truck into a a grain transport vehicle. Let's just call it, I can't call it a hopper. <laughs> Let's call it a grain transport. All right. So utensil. Like Jackson said, the this truck had the box connected to the truck. Yep. And then it pulled this pup trailer. So dad got it set up where he could haul in the, the truck and the pup trailer. The truck, he got it set up where he four by eight, probably three quarter inch plywood with just some angled two by sixes yep. to brace it. He would set those up. He would store, he built these angle iron storage racks on the roof. He bolted them into the roof of the truck. So you'd slide these boards up in there and they'd, they'd be strapped in over the top of the livestock. Yeah. So they're out of the way and didn't bother the livestock. Right? So then you just pull those down and you kind of build a hopper. Yeah, and you know some old uh, some old flatbeds were designed this way, and this might be where he kind of got the idea because this was before some of you guys might remember when a lot of cattle trailers started hauling grain. This was before all that, before Wilson Trailer Company actually started from the factory making this style of kit. They actually started; you could get a factory option to haul grain. Mm. This was before all that, and there were some flatbeds that you could basically take some boards and some pieces and set up set up a way to haul grain on a flatbed. Kind of similar. I think that's where his idea was born from because Oakley's across the road had some convertible flatbeds. And I bet that's where that idea started from. So we got the, he'd set those up in there and then he had cut some holes in the floor with traps with a sliding gate that you could control from outside. Three of them. Yep, three of them. And they were only probably 10 inches you know, wide by maybe six inches across. They were just little. Just grates on them so mm -hmm. livestock wouldn't, you know, couldn't get dinged up. And then in the, he cut circular holes in the floor of the second deck. Yep. And then a circular hole in the roof of the trailer. Yep. And so on the floor, he cut this hole out that had a plug that went in essentially so livestock couldn't fall in that hole when the, the upper deck of this truck was loaded. Yeah. And then the hole in the roof was just... Just open, open the more ventilation, and so when he went, and it actually served as a convenient escape when they'd start loading pigs on you. Oh, that's right. I learned that in my <laughs> my early teenage years. Yeah, I was like, bring them on. I'm just jumping out the roof. So 
out in South Dakota, when he would load the, the truck with corn or soybean, he would have a pipe that he'd take into that upper deck that he'd wedge from the roof. So it was a pipe that went down to the hole in the floor and they would load. Yeah, because the whole trick was trying to figure out how do you get grain through the roof, the top roof, through that second deck and into the bottom deck without it spilling all over. So that tube, yeah, it worked for like a... I th- you have two, I think two loading points. Yep, yeah, two loading points. So, was, so they'd start pouring the corn or the soybeans into the truck and then you'd have to stand out on the sides or inside. I, I'm not... Because it's sure. almost a 30-foot long section with grain only coming in at two points. Later on in these years, he added a third little hole at the very back, which was wise. But for most of the time, it was just two. So you had to push product, you know, at least five feet each direction from where it came in by hand. Try and fill fill that up. So that that was the truck, how it was loaded. The pup was even better. Um, again, the same, same, uh, traps in the floor yep. loading was, was essentially the same, but instead of having the slanted wood, which gave you a little bit of, um, kind of would funnel it down to the gates a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. He had these tarps custom sewn. He had eye bolts along the ceiling, along the edges of the, of the walls. He had a tarp with just black bungee straps. Yep. It would hook into those and the tarp would come down to the floor and then just fold up underneath. And it was just a box full of, yeah, just, just a, fill it yeah, up. Just a little box for grain. Just cover the slats, just enough tarp to cover the holes. It was heavy. Keep it from squirting out the sides. You go bring it home. And then, and he thought, of- why would I need to have a hopper or a funnel system when I have six children? It's just waiting for my return in Montana. <laughs> so I would say, Hundred percent of the product that's in the trucks, eighty-five percent of it is shoveled off by hand. Definitely, maybe yeah, I, once you open that. those traps up, maybe maybe fifteen percent flows out. Yep. Corn, maybe fifteen percent. Soybeans, maybe ten. Soybeans, you think being round, they'd flow. They don't flow at all. It's horrible. We have around the one. You probably gone. It was the one time he. I don't know why. I don't know why, but he hauled some ground corn back. It was ground. So, which means it was half powder. And I remember we opened the gates and it just went like this. It just went, just made a small, just a tube, just the exact size of the gate went up to the top. And that was it. You looked in and you're like, oh, great. Literally nothing has run out. And it was so dusty. So you, you open the traps up and this corner soybean flows out for a minute. It was a glorious minute though. And then you have to, you have wow. to crawl inside of the truck and start start shoveling. Now the thing the thing about it is when you get in there, the product is within about eight inches of the ceiling. Yeah. So oh yeah, because you fill it right to the gills, right up to the top. On. So so there's not a whole lot of space. So no. you crawl into the truck and you have to squirm along the top of the corner of the soybean. In the corner of the there's you know a few inches that you can squirm around to where it's run down, and then you can kind of fall into there and have a little bit of space. About that. I forgot about the tight space. And so then you you get in there and you start shoveling. And so you have your your scoop shovel, you have your hand up on the handle, which is up close to the ceiling, 
and every 100% of the time, for me anyway, 100% of the time, at some point, one of the middle knuckles on my hand hits one of the beams of the ceiling. How it's set up, it perfectly takes a perfect circle of your whole (laughs) knuckle off. Just basically, that just kind of scalps your knuckle. And so to this day, if any of you ever meet me in person, you can look at my knuckles. (laughs) The middle... The middle knuckles on my fingers are all raised. <laughs> and it's all scar tissue on every one of them because uh, it, it was true. years and years <laughs> and years. Look at yeah, <laughs> years and years and years of shoveling. Oh, to man. the point that my oh my wife came across some picture of me when I was in high school, and she wanted to know who was in it. And I said, "Look at my knuckles. Every single one <laughs> of my knuckles was just a a, a black circle because they were all scabbed. They're always out of scab. My whole life, my whole life, and then my whole, one, life, my whole and it was once years. a week." Every week. So you never would quite heal. You just, you healed when you graduated and left the house. Yeah, that's when my knuckles finally did not have like chronic, chronic (laughs) Chronic scabs. Anyway, so you crawl in there. It's almost airtight, Mm -hmm. almost airtight. So you get about a week of healing on your knuckles and you get about a week to cough up all the dust (laughs) that you sucked down from being in this airtight space with this corner soybeans. Oh, so that was... Every single week for every, it was every Friday. I, I don't know how um I don't know how old I was when Dad started doing that, but it was every single Friday unloading corner soybeans in, until I until I left when I was nineteen. So you started playing sports and then you didn't have to. Oh no, you got away with it. No, oh. no, I just leaving you into. Oh, <laughs> you would think you're like, man, Dad, I got a basketball game tonight. I literally have to be at the gym at six o'clock for the game. Here's <laughs> the thing, so. When we were in high school, especially basketball season, every Friday and Saturday, there's a game. Right. And it's big. Where we grew up in Fairfield, it wasn't just basketball. Like basketball in Fairfield was like football in Texas. Literally. It was, it was that. And you guys were top, top dogs. I mean, Luke's, Luke had the best. They were the best team in the state. I mean, you played for state all four years of high school, right? Freshman through senior. Yep. So it wasn't, you just got to understand that this is like basketball is, was literally all in this town. So if to be eligible to play in the Friday game and the Saturday game, you had to have a certain percentage of hours of the day in school on Friday. So if you didn't hit that hour for Friday, you couldn't play in the Friday or the Saturday game. Dad had that down to the minute (laughs) to get, get you out of school, to go unload. I mean, it was the majority of the day I had to be there. So maybe like school will get out at 3.30. Like last period. Like you'd get out get like 2.45. Mm-hmm. So he's out there picking you up. Picking in the me truck. Up, like parked in front of the in high the school truck, in the semi. Jump out of school, get in the truck, drive to unload. And you've got a basketball game that night. So you've just been sucking, sucking corn and soybean <laughs> dust, <laughs> unloading this whole, how many, uh, how many tons of product is that? Well, with his truck, I think the way he had it set up uh, in the early years, he could haul about 26 tons. And then in the later years, he'd haul more like 27, 28 tons. And you're talking 85% of that is hand shoveled off. Right. So, so you're picked up from school, go unload it, come back, just enough time to rinse all that dust off and then get back up to the gym for the basketball game. And so you would, you would, I just doing the math while you're talking, you would hand shovel off. I would be very comfortable in saying you'd hand shovel between 45 and 40 
six or seven thousand pounds of grain with your shovel every week. Every week. It didn't matter if it was wintertime, basketball season. And I spent years, years saying, Dad, I've got a game. I've got to rest. <laughs> ah, no, this just this warms you up. Yeah. Warms you up. Yeah. And I, after a couple of years of hearing me say that every single week, he said, all right, I'll go do it myself. Oh, yeah. Then you're like. <laughs> Which then you're like, oh, but then I was like, no, I got it. You know, I'm kind of coming into my own on the team. Yeah. You know, I, I need my rest. I'm going to do it. So I took that rest. Did I, you a couple of times? Once. One time. Took, I took that. Ooh, that he sent one. Rooster up to do it all by himself. I have never, in my whole basketball playing days, played a worse game in my life. You promise? <laughs> Horrible. Oh. Horrible. Oh. I never missed unloading again. In fact, I don't know. You know, you, when you, if you've played sports, sometimes you, um, let me backtrack. Does anyone watch UFC? Chael Sonnen, former UFC fighter, I was listening to his podcast, and he was talking about warming up before the fight. That you want to get past your first win into your second win during warm-ups. You want to be sweating, almost worn out before mm-hmm. you go out to fight. You need to get in that second win because once you get in your second win, you're so much better. Okay. And I, if you've played sports you don't even have to play organized. If you're playing pickup at the gym, when you first get going, you're huffing and puffing for a minute there. Yeah. And then you kick in a second win and you're good to go. It's true. I'm sure it has something to do with that going and shoveling, getting, getting that warm up. But I, I, was, I got so compulsive about it for the rest of my sports career that when we would go to tournaments, you know, you go to your district, divisional state tournaments, they were in, in other towns and we would always stay at a motel. There was nothing to do usually. And it was in uh in February and March, which is yeah. still winter in Montana. Yeah. I would go I remember Cup Bank, Montana, the hotel set was right with railroad tracks. I would spend the whole day before a night game, uh-huh. I'd get up and I would just walk back and forth just out there on those railroad tracks all day long. <laughs> because I was so compulsive yeah, that I, I wanted to do something. I, I wasn't move. getting to shovel on I wasn't getting to shovel off a load of grains. You know, and and here's the thing too, all these stories, and we'll make we'll make a lot of light of this stuff now, especially now looking back on it, because you can see in the rear view so much more clearly than at the time that we experienced so much of this stuff. But some of this might sound harsh, or it might sound like, man, that was pretty dangerous what he put those kids through, or you know, just the things we did. But it was all so correct looking back now. It's just correct. It was right. And where where we're at now and getting to where we are, you being a highly educated dentist and me being a trashy trucker, getting to that point, <laughs> getting to that point, I, I just don't see it happening, being raised a different way. Yeah, I totally agree. Dad, he worked really hard to make it work for us as a family growing up. You know, like I start off saying he was buying buying hogs and buying livestock that people wouldn't even consider selling nowadays he would take it on and and when you buy that kind of livestock it usually takes a lot of extra work for a lot of different reasons and people just don't take it on he would take all that on make things happen he figured out how to to get himself a backhaul even though it was a, a lot of extra work 
part of our idea with this podcast in hopefully creating some identity for truckers is to help them seek and look for independence in ways that they can make things work for them to have success and to, you know, to grow themselves and progress themselves. You know, it's not easy. It's hard, but a lot of the, the stories and the things we find funny were very formative for us. And they were things our dad, our dad did that allowed him to be independent, to have success for himself. Yeah. Nailed it. We will hopefully continue this yeah. podcast on we've set up that instagram page at steady at the wheel podcast we'll try and as we're as we're talking about stuff we'll try and um and we have some of the the memories and the things we're and stories we're telling you we do have some evidence still around we'll try and we'll try and get pictures and and whatnot up to to show you some of the stuff we're talking about also have an email address that i can't remember if it's stay at the wheel mm. or stay at the wheel podcast at gmail.com. I'll get that down. But if you guys uh, have questions for us or you want us to clarify something we're talking about, yeah, you know, you can direct message on on that Instagram page. Um, when I figure out what that email address is and have that you set put up. Put it in the show notes and bear with us. We're just trying to get this going and ramped up. So yeah, as it comes, we'll probably end up here having a uh, a web page for the podcast that we'll have show notes you'll have some contact information for us for questions you have um if there's some things you want us to cover talk about or clarification questions you know yeah hopefully at some point we even get a youtube channel yeah you know, some of you guys prefer to listen to a podcast on youtube so i think that's great um i think it'd be fun to interact with you know as part of the part of the show to be able to interact because talking about this stuff i know some of you out there this whole hour and however have been nodding your head and reminiscing about stories and things that uh, some of you younger ones, uh, truckers and whatnot out there going, what? And some of you older ones are nodding your head going, yeah, poor rooster. He's a good old boy. <laughs> so anyway, it'll be fun to be able to, uh, to interact as part of that creation of the community. I have a feeling most people listening to this are already going to know where you're coming from social media wise. Yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram at Shamanush, which I know it's a weird name, but started it way before i ever thought anyone would ever wonder what or who a shamanush is so you better spell that it's gonna be uh, at s-h-u-m-u-n-u-s-h and then uh, also you can follow along on some of uh do a lot of trucking stuff and ranch stuff and uh, some just some cool content that i think you'd enjoy on my youtube channel which is wild wild west all right with that we'll um See y'all next time.